<clears throat> no, it, it's, it's so, uh, such a, a wonderful rite of passage, if you will. So congratulations. Uh, and thank you, uh, parents, for making confirmation a priority in the lives of your children. Didn't have to. You've probably heard a lot of parents say, you know, my wife and I, we, we decided long ago that we weren't going to force religion on our children. You know, matters such as th- this important, we don't, we don't want to force them. We want them to make up their own mind. And this sounds logical, it sounds sophisticated, but it's sheer nonsense. If you apply that same logic to the rest of life, then it doesn't apply. Like uh, school attendance. You know, we don't want to force school attendance on you. If you're tired, stay home, do what you want. In fact, if you want to drop out of school, we don't want you to be turned off by school. Or what coach would apply that same logic to, to their team? You know, if you don't want to come to practice, that's okay. We don't want you to be burned out on this. No coach would do that. But we apply the same logic to the most important things in life, namely the things of God. The principle is is that there can be no religious neutrality in the home because neutrality about God is itself a form of religion that's an anti-God religion. If neutrality is the attitude and commitment of a parent, then it will most likely be repeated in the childhood as he or she grows up. And it'll be demonstrated in, in indifference, in lukewarmness, in spiritual apathy. That's why we're instructed over and over and over again in God's word to pass on our faith to the next generation, including in Psalm 78, 4 through 8. The psalmist writes this, We will not hide your commandments, God, from our descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done in our lives. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to do what with? To teach our children so that the next generation would know them even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God it, it would not, and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. I, I didn't t- say this in the first service, but my dad became a Christian from a very uh, non-church family. My, my dad became a Christian when he got shocked off of a power line and he, he almost fell to his death, and it scared the H-E double hockey sticks out of him, literally. And, and a man at the YMCA had been witnessing to him, and he, he inquired more about it, and because of that, he became a sold-out believer in Christ. Because my dad did that, then we have four, his four children, and now a bazillion grandchildren who are walking with the Lord. Because he passed on his faith to the next generation, and we to our children, and now great-grandchildren, in fact. Without passing on our faith, our children will naturally follow the way of the human nature or the world. It's the path of least resistance. 
It's the wide road to destruction instead of the narrow path, which is more difficult at times, but it leads to eternal life. This world is constantly preaching to our children messages that are anti-Christian through their music, through its media, through politics, through everything you can imagine. Turn on the television or open the internet and you will see all these sermons being preached at them as to what they should think and how, how they should behave and what is politically correct. The world's lies must be countered with the truth of God's word and it's got to be intentional and consistent. It's um, Seeking God and, and knowing his truth is like riding a bicycle uphill. When we stop pedaling, we will not, not remain neutral and just remain there. We'll go backwards. We need to be on the offense, if you will. We need to be intentional and and continue to progress daily in the truth of God's word if we're going to counteract all of the world, worldliness that's thrown at us. 2 Corinthians 5.10, Paul the Apostle says, we demolish the worldly arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and we make it obedient to Christ. Uh, Colossians 3, let the word of God dwell in you richly. Parents who make God's word a priority in the homes will pass it on and they will have great and powerful influence in the way their children will walk and their grandchildren as well. Joshua said, he said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord and I will be the one leading. I read statistics. If a mom accepts Christ, like my dad did in a non-Christian home, if mom accepts Christ and goes to church, then like 30% of the time, her family will join. If a dad accepts Christ and starts going to church, then 92% of the family will join. But if both parents uh, go to church and say, hey, this is what our family's going to do, then it just skyrockets beyond that, higher than 92%. How many were blessed with godly parents or grandparents who passed on their faith to you? Raise your hand. Yep, a good majority of you. And there are, fortunately, there are exceptions, aren't there? There are people who, like my dad, was not, and the Lord got a hold of his life, and he changed the trajectory of the generations that followed him. Uh, Second Timothy, Paul says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, Timothy which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives also in you. In Psalm 78, verse 8, the psalmist writes, they would not, therefore, be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation. Why weren't they? Because their faith was passed on to them, whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful to him. Parents, God has given us the highest responsibility but it's not quite enough just to go to church or stick your kids in confirmation or Sunday school and say all right there you go I did my duty but parents must model it at home even more so because more is taught than caught it's one thing to believe in prayer but it's another thing when kids see you praying at the dining room table or on the sofa it's one thing to believe in the bible it's another thing for kids to see you reading your bible opening it up 
It's one thing to believe that what the Bible says about loving your enemy and blessing those who curse you and forgiving those who offend you, and it's quite another one to see, you, see it demonstrated at home rather than cursing the neighbors or complaining about so-and-so or slandering so-and-so with bitterness in your heart. It's one thing to believe in church and another thing to be committed to a church family. You know, more is caught than taught, and kids will do what you do. They will not do what you say if it doesn't complement what you do. So parents and grandparents, you are the primary influence in your kids' lives, so thank you for making confirmation a priority for them to be here today. And then thank you, teachers, for making it a priority to invest in the next generation, even in kids who are not your own. The Apostle Paul said of Timothy, Timothy, who is not my son, Timothy, uh, when you, what you heard from me, keep as a pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that I entrusted into you. Timothy, I've passed on all that I am and all that I know. Guard it. I entrust it to you to pass on now. I don't remember many childhood Sunday school teachers. I, I may... I have glimpses of a couple. You know, in high school, I remember those guys, but I don't remember childhood teachers, but I, I remember what they did. I remember that they taught me songs and great hymns using charts. I remember the flannel graph things. This is pre-internet, flannel graphs. You got to look it up. And I remember uh, passing out Salerno butter cookies and juice at our tables, and, and they were, I remember their smiles and their hugs, and I don't remember them, but I caught something from them. And because of that, I was nurtured in the faith. And they loved me. And they loved my siblings. First Thessalonians, Paul says, We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, the truth, but our lives as well. These men and women, they gave up their Sunday mornings to invest in children that did not belong to them. And they passed on their faith with the love of Jesus. And then later on in my senior year in high school, I was trying to think, yeah, it was my senior year. It was the second half of my senior year. This high school secretary, she invited me and a couple of my friends to a lunchtime Bible study across the parking lot in this church. Uh, in this church. And so I went over there one day because I had nothing better to do. And, uh, and because of her example and maybe another teacher, my mind was blown away. First of all, no adult had ever taken a spiritual interest in my life to invite me anywhere, and I was a senior in high school. And she was passionately in love with Jesus, and it just, it just caught on like a fire. It ignited my spirit. And then the second time that that happened is when I was a senior. I was trying to think of my junior year, senior year in college, but it was my senior year. Beginning my senior year, my college professor called me up after class one day, and he invited me out for breakfast. And my mind was blown away because I, hadn't, other than this secretary in high school, I'd never had another male take that much interest in me to pour into my life. I was a senior in college. I don't remember anyone ever doing that outside of my parents. And he literally changed my life and taught me what it meant to disciple. 
And teachers, that's what you've been doing. You've been pouring into these students who are not yours. You've been role models. And adults in this church, thank you for stopping in the hallway and talking to the students and the children in our midst. Because what, what you, how you act toward them, how you treat them, how you make them feel <clears throat> will go way more than sitting in a sanctuary like this listening to a sermon. Because more is caught than taught. And then finally, students, I want to thank you for committing to confirmation. Again, I thanked you in the first service. If you come back next week, I might thank you again. So thank you for the second time for making this a priority. <clears throat> uh, you can now check this off your box saying confirmation done, complete. But as I said in the first service, what did I say? I want you to preach it. Come on up. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Um, you could check it off and say, I've done that. Or you can say, you know, this is the beginning of my journey. I've been taught now how to study the Bible. I've, I've been taught what the Bible books mean. I've been taught in the Old and the New Testament how to share my faith. Now I've got to do it. You could file it away in your confirmation folder, stick it on your shelf. You could admire your little certificate on the wall signed by the pastor. Or you could say, okay, this has just taught me how to feed myself. This taught me how to live for Christ rather than I've gone through that little class. That's over with. Whew, have, don't have to do that again. You've been taught a lot of information. Psalm 78.5 says, God decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law of God in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach our children. You've been taught. But the Bible information is not to be filed away. It's supposed to be shared in verse 6, so that the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born. And they in turn will tell their children, who's the next generation in your life? What? Right. The children in our midst. Someday your children, but the children who are walking the hallways every Sunday, every Wednesday, these little runts that are running in front of you and hugging your legs and stuff, and the cool, the cool thing is, this confirmation class have all been doing this for years. They've been volunteering for the nursery and for VBS and for, you know, helping out with this and that. And, they're, and they're, they serve in service projects. This class is amazing as I looked at each one of them. You're there, right? Every single one of you. And uh, <clears throat> except for one and he's gone. No, I'm kidding. No, no all of you. Um, and I shared the story about my, a friend in youth group, or a kid in youth group. When he, joined, when he was going into high school, he was a ninth grader, and he loved it, man. He was the most committed ninth grader. He invited his friends. But what made it so incredible was that um, some juniors and seniors took him under his wings and then his friends as well, and, and our youth group exploded, not because of my amazing looks and wonderful charisma, but because they were inviting their friends to youth group because they were cared for by the juniors and seniors. They were looking out for the next generation of youth leaders, if you will. And, uh, and so when Tony became a senior in high school, you know, he was groomed and he was cared for. And um, when he became a senior, he stopped coming to youth group. For two months, he was a no-show. And finally, I ran into him and said, Tony, I've missed you at youth group. Where are you? He said, you know, John, I'm just kind of over youth group. You know, I'm getting preparing for college and 
um, you know what, it's not the same as it used to be for some reason. And I said, well, what did what it used to be like? He said, well, when I, like I, when I was a freshman and sophomore, I mean, we had all these, these students who were on fire for Christ, and, you know, and they, they took us out to Sonic after youth group, and they cared for us, and, and it's not like that anymore. I said, Tony, what year are you? I'm a senior. And I looked at him like this, and he went, oh. People had poured into his life, but he was unwilling to pour in to the next generation of ninth graders and tenth graders because he thought, I'm nothing special. I'm not a leader. Well, Tony was a leader and is. He, he went on to serve overseas with YWAM, Youth with a Mission, for a couple of years. And he, he, had, he got married, had kids, and he's, he loves Jesus and is introducing the next generation of his kids to the Lord now. And so th- we're all called to do that. In the Bible, it's called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And it goes on to say, pass on your faith to the next generation. When you're, when you're walking, when you're sleeping, when you're awake on the doorpost, just continue to pass on every, what God means to you, who you know God to be in your life. Every person in Israel would have memorized that passage in Deuteronomy. And we have forgotten that at times. It's not about information. It's about transformation. We're to pass on the Bible. That's why we pass it on. You think, okay, I'm done with confirmation. I got this knowledge. I'm going to heaven one day. And then you forget about spiritual things. No, you, are, you read God's word to pass it on and share it with others because this information leads to transformation. Of all the people who knew this, it was Billy Graham. Billy Graham would get up there in front of thousands and he said, I'm not a great preacher. There are so many others who are more eloquent than I am. And I don't know why God uses me, but I'll tell you one thing. If I have a three or four point outline, he said, he said, you, I, can, I could say no stories under each one. I could just read scripture verses under each out point of the outline. And when I'm done, God uses his word. Because it's the living word. It's the very words of God being spoken to the people who he loves. The word of God is powerful. And so people would flood to the altar in tears because they were, they were convicted and they were moved and they were transformed by the power of God's word, not by Billy Graham's charisma. He said that over and over again throughout his life. And so that's why we pass on the word of God in our words and in our deeds by how we live. We model it because it's power to change lives. And if we care for people, if, we, if you care for your friends walk in the hallways of school who don't know Jesus, then you'll say, Lord, how can I pass on what I just read in my devotions today, Lord? How can I make this a reality in my life today? How can I be blessed in conversations that lead people to you? one step at a time. In verse 7, and I'll end here, then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds but would keep his commands. Notice they put their trust not in information, not in religious education, but they put their trust in a living relationship with God. And that's what you guys have, every one of you, because it's evident in the way you live. So thank you, 
for not only knowing the truth, but for living for the truth, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. We do thank you, Lord, for this church. We thank you for parents and grandparents who are godly. We thank you for getting a hold of parents and grandparents, even in their older age, and transforming their lives like you did in my dad's life, that they could begin anew and start a new trajectory for their family. We thank you for those who don't know Jesus yet, but will because they've heard the truth of the living word of God speaking to them even this morning. Lord Jesus, we thank you for parents and grandparents. We thank you for these teachers who invested in, in students not their own because you've called them to make disciples. And we thank you for these students who love you and who live the truth. Continue to bless them, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.